the interconnectedness of in-group favoritism with out-group discrimination so that those things have like an inverse relationship to one another that the more we favor our in-group the higher we are likely to not only discriminate against the out-group but just sort of rely on stereotypes and a warped notion Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. It's a scat man. Hey, Bob. Hi, Dave. It sounds like you're singing to me. Be bop, 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 bop. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Didn't I do that once another week? Like, I don't know. Sometimes I like to sing your name into songs. Bop, 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 It just flows. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons the name Bob is going extinct. Because it's dying as a name. And it's more just an idea. Yeah. Oh, man. There is a great, uh, I I guess I'm going to call it a documentary on, done by our favorite guy, John Boyce, called The Bob Emergency, talking about how there's just no Bobs in pro sports anymore. It is just hilarious. And you get a good look at all the great Bobs in the last, I don't know, 150 years of sports. You have a favorite, Dave? Um, I, I guess I like Bob Feller. He once claimed that he could throw a pitch. How fast? Like 130 miles an hour? No, I think 109. 109, which yeah, I actually just watched another YouTube video saying that it's, um, why it's, it's humanly impossible to throw a baseball 110 miles an hour. But you could crank it up to 109. Dave. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> crank it to 109. Oh, man. Long before the radar gun. Yeah. There's that great scene where, for some reason, he's in a suit and tie. And he, they're, like, timing his pitch. And they're timing it against, like, a, a motorcycle that's driving by. And, you know, like, he pitches faster than the motorcycle. But... The motorcycle's only going 85 miles an hour, so that study told us absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, sure, that's like super fast on a motorcycle, right? Especially in the 1960s. But it's like, yeah. what are you doing out there, people? It's That's like an R.A. Dickey changeup right there. Yep. Knuckleball. An R.A. Dickey changeup could also go faster than that. Yeah. <laughs> Tells us nothing. Um, you know, where does the name Bob come from as a nickname? Have you ever thought of that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I I have thought of it. It's, you know, must come from, at some point, the nickname Rob went to Bob. Right. But why why that happened? Same with like William to Bill, right? Right. How does it, how does it sort of get that B? Maybe like a B is a nice like, but, 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 hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, Blob. 
Hey, Crab. You know, the, I kind of feel like it has something to do with like English, the English language in like 1700s England, you know? I kind of feel like I can just picture a little street urchin, you know, just like playing around with that name. It's like, hey, yeah, this yeah. is my friend. Yeah. This is Robert. It's like, ah, oh, this is my friend Rob. This is Robbie. This is Bob. This is Bobby. You know? I don't know. Yeah. Some of that Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah, Cockney rhyming. That's right. Yeah. It's crazy that it is like how that goes, you know? And I think the same for Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth has like a million little nicknames too. Yep. Yeah. Those maybe like old English names have a lot of nicknames off of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, let's get into some stuff we want to talk about, Bob. I want to start us off and talk Oscar season. Yes. Thank you, Dave. I am just so curious, Bob. Have you seen any of the Oscar contenders? Do you know what they are? No, do you have them, you have them in front of you? Um, you know, I don't even know if the Oscars have totally been announced, but I do know that the Golden Globes are this weekend, so they're basically the same idea, right? Um, because I think yeah, they are. the Oscars got pushed back till April. Usually the Oscars happen right around this time, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but we could talk about, I mean, the Golden Globes, right? So that's more more what we're getting after um, because they are tonight, in fact. Wow. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the end of February, February 28th. And the one I am most curious, the two that are like, have been predicted to do the best tonight are... The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Nomadland. And I'm curious. I bet you've seen them both, but I have not seen either. Um, I've seen The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, oh, yeah. I've also seen Pro- Promising Young Woman, which is uh, up there. And But I have not seen Nomadland. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that Nomadland, Nomadland is going to sweep. I just feel like it's... Classic Hollywood movie. I just watched the trailer and it seems like just so Americana, just like driving around in a little, not little, but a big van, not like an RV, but a big van. And, you know, it's a woman in her 60s that has just like lost all of her money and she like takes to becoming a nomad. And it's kind of like glorifying this idea of like being on the road. Um, Going back to like Jack Kerouac or that one, uh, what is that movie? Peter Fonda and Jack Nicholson on motorcycles. Is that Easy Rider? Easy Rider, yeah. I just feel like those movies just feel, they make you feel something. And I, I don't quite know what it is, but I, I like it. I will say that I do like it. Yeah, but I do know that The Trial of the Chicago 7s on Netflix. And you've seen that one? Yeah, I have. It's pretty good. Um, good acting. And I think I, at the end, felt a little bit unsatisfied for some reason. You know, it's an important moment in history. It's basically the Nixon administration going after very loosely connected activists in order to send a message to social movements. Um, The thing I remember most is just uh, Sasha Baron Cohen playing Abby Hoffman does a great job. Uh, I'd give it to Sasha Baron Cohen for if he's up for best actor. Um, and yeah, but for me, it, it, I mean, it's a fine movie, but it wasn't anything 
amazing. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I don't have a strong feeling, but you're probably right. You're pretty good at, at picking the the Golden Globes and the Oscars. Yeah. I also don't think it's like it's pretty easy to get in this year, you know, like Borat is up for a Golden Globe in the comedies, you know, is along with Palm Springs. So it's like it could be amazing. I mean, they'll both get blown away by Lin Manuel, right? Um, it could be because um, it's comedy or musical. That's right. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense. You know, I don't know why Borat and Hamilton are in the same category, right? Yeah, that's true. Oh, and Sasha Baron is up for his role as a supporting actor in the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Oh, he could he could just roll it this year, Dave. Oh man, he's going up against Bill Murray on The Rocks, Jared Leto, The Little Things, uh, Daniel Kal- Kaluuya. That's your guy, right? Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, uh, Fred Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton, and then Leslie Odom Jr. One Night in Miami. Um, and he was. Uh, he was also in Hamilton, so pretty good. Speaking of that, uh, Regina King is up for directing One Night in Miami. Think she's got a shot, Dave? <laughs> uh, how do I even know Regina King? Oh, yeah, she is my Watchmen woman, right? Yeah, yes, right. she's the lead in Watchmen. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, she. not only does she have a shot, Bob, she's got it. It's in the bag. They're calling it. <laughs> Putting you down for this. Let's see if you can have a clean sweep of misses. Yeah. No. No, just kidding. Yeah. I support you. Good. Now that will probably go to what's her name? Chloe Zhao for Nomad Land. People think that she really nailed it. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Um I see Eugene Levy is in best actor for a comedy series. Oh. Um curious if his son is also up. Do you know that his son Plays his son in Schlitz Creek. Uh, Schlitz Creek. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, I do. I don't know if I've told you this, but I got really into Schlitz Creek this year. Um, That's right. Shit. Yeah, there's, there's no all. Sorry, I don't mean to to blow you up in front of your your viewing audience, Bob. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that show and i do love dan levy he is awesome he is like the heart of that show yeah so good the levy to levy connection is just that's a that's a powerhouse yeah and his sister it plays the waitress twyla on that show too nice levy to levy to levy yeah (laughs) good bob i forgot that the golden globes also deals with um what's it called tv shows huh they do they do. I think there's a podcast category in the Globes as well. No. I think we might be up, Dave. Is that true? <laughs> no, that's just that's just a bridge too far. Yeah. Well, no, no, I, th- there is podcast, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I know we're up for it. I just didn't know that there was actually a category. That's <laughs> Dave, did you know we got nominated in for the potties <laughs> this year? <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's gotta be called the potties, right? It's got to be the potties. <laughs> if that doesn't exist, then we could be on the executive committee of the potties. Yeah. I would love to organize a potty award. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. How does it, it all become about like the ease, right? It's not like Oscars. I guess Tony, yeah. Emmy, Oscar, and um, 
Is there another famous one? I guess those are the three. But then it became like Espies and the Dundies, of course, on from uh, the Office. And oh, nice! And the best commercial? What are those? There's something E's. <laughs> Dang, Bob, you're just tantalizing Dave Harris wherever he is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm sure Nick <laughs> we really need yelling at his computer right now. Oh yeah. We need a Harris show. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I was going to try and get him last minute for last week's show, but I was like, ah, that just feels like too much work. Yeah. Well, we'll get you Harris. Put it on the, put it on your schedule for March. Yeah. Man, we're fast approaching our episode all dedicated to the band TLC of the late nineties. My God. Episode 87. Is that a ring? Yeah. You know, Hopefully someone will go back and send us an email. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have no idea how we're going to figure that out. We don't have enough, we don't have enough uh, people power out there to, to go back and mark, it, mark the calendar. No, we don't. Well, Dave, I better switch the topics and get you on my, my question for the opening. Yeah, hit us up, Bob. Okay, so uh, it is... A dystopian question, and I want to get your sense of what the summer is going to be like in the pandemic, because it is a moving target in the sense we have seen um, since early January a rapid decline in COVID cases, and also rapid decline in in deaths and hospital cases. So it does look robust. And it's not just like based on some kind of testing error or something like that. Um, For example, in Monterey County at our peak, we were experiencing, uh, they measured over like a two week period. So we were over 6,000 cases in a two week period. Now we're down to 900 in the last two weeks. So, you know, down about one fifth of what we were. We got the vaccines rolling out, coming out, although, albeit slowly. Then we have the variants, which are, we have these UK variants, South Africa, um, Brazil, and there's an article that talked about a nightmare scenario in which two of the variants come together in one person and turn into something else of, you know, an even worse mutation. and. Yeah, this article called it um, the nightmare scenario. They weren't clear on what that means, right? Like, okay, what what is this so-called nightmare? Is it going to turn into like, like, what does that actually turn it into? They weren't clear on that. Um, but there's definitely a lot of, you know, good science, like for us to be worried about the variants. Um, we also have, you know, as Malcolm Gladwell brought in these like second generation vaccines that should be able to handle the variants better than the, you know, current vaccines. Um, We have no longer a Trump administration, we have a Biden administration, but we're still left with the U.S. culture. So, you know, Trump was one bad issue with it all, but U.S. culture in and of itself was bad. You know, the uh, extreme capitalism, with very little help for people coming from the state, you know, in terms of funding or, you know, uh, just, uh, just help, you know, in the financial help from the state 
where in Europe, you know, people have gotten um, money every single month of the pandemic. So the U.S. is just a brutal situation um, for COVID. With all those factors, and we should tell our, our listening audience that you have received your first dose of the vaccine. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I, actually, there's one more important factor that there is a vaccine apartheid, both in the United States and globally, where white people are twice as likely to have received the vaccine um, in the U.S. And then the vaccine, like much of the global South can't get the vaccine because it's being hoarded in, um, you know, Western countries. So that's a important issue as well. So, so many factors, right? It's just so complex, but what are your, your thoughts about this summer? I say, let it ride. Let's have a blast, Bob. Now, um, gosh, you bring, bring so many good points up and I, I guess my first thought is I feel like I might be one of the first people in my age group, friend group that is getting vaccinated. I, you know, I've already had my first dose and I get my second dose on March 11th, Joe Shine's birthday, or sorry, the day before Joe Shine's birthday. And, um, also our dad's birthday. So I feel like, you know, I'm two weeks away at this point, not even two weeks away of being vaccinated. And I've, a big reason is because Colorado pushed educators like up all the way into like the one B and yeah, I feel like that's not happening very much. That like, it seems like Colorado and Kentucky are the only two States that have done that. So I kind of feel like, whoa, this is feeling kind of wild that I'm going to be vaccinated. And like, what does that mean for me? And one of the things I was thinking about is like, man, it'd be kind of nice to get in the sauna, like just going to a, you know, I have a, I don't have a gym membership anymore, but through the the school district that I work at, we get gym memberships and I'm like, oh man, wouldn't it be sweet to go to a sauna or get a massage? Or like, I, I haven't, I've decided not to book a dentist appointment because it just feels like that felt like a little too invasive. You know what I mean? Um, so like all those like mucous membrane, like doctor visits or whatnot. <laughs> um, I'm, I've been kind of dreaming of a lot of that and you know, our mom gets her next vaccination tomorrow will be her second dose of, um, I think she has fought, uh, Moderna. No. Yeah. She has the Moderna one. Um, so I was like, maybe I'll be able to like spend Easter weekend like inside at her house which kind of feels like a wild dream you know um but then there's this whole other side of like we're not really vaccinated against these mutations and or like we don't know if we are to be honest and we really like it seems so dramatically important to like if we can like the even the people that are vaccinated because most of us you know, there's a lot of people that have elected not to get vaccinated because they're like, oh, I'm young or like, or I don't believe in the coronavirus or whatever. Um, and I feel like that is kind of a danger to the society as a whole. 
Yeah. I don't have an easy answer, Bob. I just feel like, I feel like there's like a little bit of a weight lifted off. You know, we, I, there's a few weddings this summer that will probably still be happening, but maybe not. Um, and yeah, I just have like a desire to like come summertime. I want to get in the, get in the, the car and do a little bit of a road trip. And I feel like the only reason I'm saying that is because I'm vaccinated, but I know that that doesn't feel like the safest thing to do. But at the very least, I feel like a weight off. So um, I'm going to do my best to keep everybody safe out there. And hopefully, yeah, we can get through this. But I don't know. It just feels like it's a coin flip still at this point, whether or not we're going to get through this as a society, you know? Yeah. It, uh, it to me feels like maybe the be- the deeper question is like, has our society learned anything from the pandemic? And it seems like certainly individual people have learned stuff, you know, for example, I feel like I've learned a lot, but I do, do not feel like our society has learned anything. Um, our, our society, I don't think has taken a step forward or evolved, um, more like part of a society maybe took a step forward and the other side of the society took a step backwards. So it only is like a more tense overall situation. Um, yeah. Which brings us to a, a depressing sort of note. I mean, this is, this is not the high note of Sasha Baron Cohen, Dave. We, we could go for a Borat moment right about now. Yeah. At least a quick fart joke or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, man. I don't know. But I, I guess a hopeful moment is like uh, my students have been awesome on this and like they're so with it and thinking deeply. My community psychology class is, is doing great work and uh, I am very proud of them. And so the hope is in the younger generation, no doubt. Um, and it's in you know, learning from the, the older generation too. I was thinking to myself today, like, my God, like seniors, poor seniors, the psychology of living through the pandemic as a senior is just seems really awful um, and challenging is what I mean. Um, you know, you know, your, your vulnerability is higher and you're probably seeing many of your colleagues and friends pass, you know, um, you might be in a nursing home. And so my heart goes out to seniors through, throughout this whole thing. And uh, people like our mom has been great in terms of, I feel like mom's done a great job surviving and thriving in the, the, the dystopia. Got to get that lady on this show again. Maybe bring in Dave Harris, Helen Maisler, just the two of them hosting a podcast at some point. Get us out of here. Ooh, man, who knows? Who knows what they would talk about? Something good, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think they have a lot to talk about in the world of the Golden Globes. We know Mom's <laughs> going to watch tonight. We know that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, how can you pass up Tina Fey, you know? Well, it's good to think about, Bob. I feel like there's a piece of me that just wants to, like, party like it's, you know, 2019. But 
I think the more realistic piece of me is like, yeah, I just don't think we're there yet. Well, let's get into the the pasta and salad part of the show. Ooh, a little Italian course tonight, huh? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Good, Bob. I'm going to introduce it for us. Uh, we're a little bit, you know, we're a little bit flying off the seat of our pants. We had this idea about... Uh, who knows, sometime in 2020, I think, that we were going to do an episode on in-groups and out-groups and how that sort of relates to avoidance as a whole. And it kind of morphed a little bit into becoming, like just putting your shoes on and going way back when, back into high school. Because I feel like the the in-group, out-group mentality while it still exists at like younger grade levels, of course, but also um, and it exists into adulthood a little bit, it just feels like we can all go put ourselves into that John Hughes movie and walk back into high school and remember what it feels like to be in the in with, a, with whatever group we were in, you know. And it doesn't totally matter what group has like the leadership role or maybe not the leadership role, but like what group it's, it's not just the cool kids, right? Every group has an extent of in-grouping and out-grouping. Like at least in uh, Fairview high school, the school that we both went to, it feels to me that we know that no matter what group you were a part of, there was some, some of this going on. So I don't know. Do you want to describe from the social psychology standpoint, I know everybody has a pretty good working on understanding of this, but maybe you want to give us a, a little bit of a lowdown and then we can talk about like some of our experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe the social psychology aspect that's interesting for us to think about is the interconnectedness of in-group favoritism with out-group discrimination. So that those things are, have like an inverse relationship to one another that the more we favor our in-group, the higher we are likely to not only discriminate against the out-group, but just sort of rely on stereotypes and a warped notion, like dominant narratives of the out-group, and not see them with complexity and multi multicolors for like who they might actually really be and um that yeah so that that goes hand in hand with in-group favoritism which is a you know cozying up to one's own group and um establishing the bonds within the the own group and the just social cohesion of the in-group so and so this is subtle because this is things that good people, good groups engage in. The, um, you know, having of a party or the enjoying one's in-group can lead and, and yeah, so yeah, can lead to the favoritism and then the out-group discrimination or warped thinking about the out-group. I would say that yeah high school is such a strong place where this happens because the groups 
are pretty distinct and we're in like this closed system in a sense in, in the high school itself. And there's all these ideas already in our culture that start to group us. You know, we start thinking of ourselves as the nerds or the jocks or the theater kids or, you know, just all these things that high schoolers are already thinking of having to contend with that, at least contend with the groupings. So yeah, that, that even like the good stuff of high school or like, you know, having great moments with our friends, having a, an article written about us in the, um, the Royal Banner about skateboarding, you know, that turned, that's a nice moment, but I guess that fosters this in-group favoritism, out-group warped thinking. So the best, you know, the great example of this is the, the creation of Rattlesnake. And um, just ex- curious to explore that with you, Dave, the, the ways in which Rattlesnake has been a positive group and how Rattlesnake has thought about I, you know, I think actually Rattlesnake has already been conscious of trying to not engage in this, but probably does it anyways, right? Um, because these are strong forces. Uh, yeah, so pass it back to you, to you, Dave, and what kind of thoughts you have on that? And maybe describe what Rattlesnake is for the listeners. Uh, I'm pretty sure the whole world knows what Rattlesnake is at this point, right? No, just kidding. Um, yeah, like... I guess I don't know exactly where to begin, but I feel like my group of friends in high school was like so clicked up. Um, I don't know if that's an expression, but let's, it kind of feels like a Tom Wolf expression. Um, we were just like very in grouped more. And it's like more so than I feel like any group at my high school, like, we were very, and a lot of it became, came with this, like, self, we came up with a nickname for our group, which was Rattlesnake, um, and it had to do with a sports name, uh, like, our intramural basketball team was named Rattlesnake, and then volleyball team as well. So, in and of itself, it was exclusionary based on who was on the team, right? And we kind of, like, took that to the nth degree. Um much in the same way of like you could imagine the heathers being so, sort of similar to this right like we are we're like we are rattlesnake and that means that you are not part of us right and we use this in a lot of different ways but we had a lot of people that we didn't really want to hang out with too much and yeah, we like out, we pushed them out of our group, like consciously in a way when rather than like being like, it just like was very clear that like, Hey, this is what we want. We want to be this like very exclusive group. And then it became like, kind of like, what are these kids doing? Cause we were definitely weren't the cool kids, but like, we were like posturing that we were so exclusive that like, it kind of became like, Whoa maybe I want to be a part of that group. But like at at that point it was like closed off and like it almost, I don't know. It had some really interesting long-term effects where I feel like I feel so close to all the men that were a part of this group. 
And I have friendships that are going back like 20 plus years at this point where we talk quite often and we're in a lot of communication. And so like that group became like super solidified, but I also feel like in a lot of ways we did some things that I'm not proud of with other people in the school. And we like, we really isolated ourselves and it was, I don't know. It's like not the way I want to live my life, but I feel like it's also something that just like innately happens, but maybe that's because it's like sort of in my core a little bit more than most people because of like how I experienced high school and like maybe, and also to be frank too, I never really had many friends in elementary school and I felt like I was always on the out group. So there was like no people that really, like even the people that I like had as friends, they wouldn't, they weren't even considering me friends. And I like, I didn't even really like them that much. And they wouldn't even be friends with me, you know? Um, yeah. So I felt like, so like when I found rattlesnake and this group of friends, I was like, Oh my God, I finally have people that I like and they like me too. It felt like I felt so lucky to be honest. And I just wanted to hold, I still do. I just wanted to hold on to that so bad. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess in the end, I feel like I feel lucky, but I also feel like I wish that I wish that I could have done things a little bit differently, but I just don't know if I could have, you know? Yeah. I'll bring a little bit more. Um, psychology into this conversation and this idea of building community and um, like building communities really important for being human and having a community is associated with a lot of elements of well-being to build a community requires building social bonds, the bonds between individuals. And so that allows for us to understand your situation where the creation of Rattlesnake is very natural from this idea of building a community and building social bonds together. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. And like I was saying before, High school is a war zone in which you are, students are in really awful, tough, like very difficult places. And so to survive, you know, students will do anything, um, I think, you know, and it seems like building community is a positive thing that, that high schoolers could do. So it's something that. I always read as a very positive thing, the creation of Rattlesnake. You created it freshman year, you know, where that's like the hardest year of high school often. And what, what um, building social bonds can do is another, another social psychology term here is build social capital, where social capital is like the, the networks that one is in, and that is a type of power. And um, so, yeah, I think. It likely slowly but surely 
gave you all a type of power. Um, not a bad type of power, but just a type of power. Um, it does feel like, um, you know, other people wanted to join Rattlesnake, but um, didn't really like have the same values. And actually, I think the values of Rattlesnake were pretty good. You know, they're around like um, political consciousness and like trying to not be a jock culture or a popular culture. So the, the values were pretty good. And often I remember you all would like exclude people who would like just have more, for lack of a better word, individualistic perspectives that didn't fit the like progressive politics of rattlesnake. Um, but then there's like another side of all of that because like, and I think you were focusing on that other side, which are really important to, to think about because I do think, um, as we've met people in our lives, um, it's clear that there's like an implicit rattlesnake, you know, even if it's not named, um, and that can feel very excluding and it's possible like, um, that rattlesnake could do more to like the, the building of community, the other side of bonds is bridges. And, um, it, I think it would be up for up to rattlesnake to start to engage in the process of building bridges. That's like to build a community, you want to do inward bonding and then outward bridging. And yeah, I think it would be like the evolution of rattlesnake to go from bonding to bridging. Right. Oh man, Bob, you're pretty good. No one really gives you much credit for your social psychology, you know, but I feel like, I feel like we really learned a lot. I feel like you really, I don't know, gave me some hope for this world that we live in. And I love that idea of bonding to bridging, you know, it's like, Dang, if only we could have done a little more bridging. If only we had, I mean, you were our mentor. You were the, the snake charmer, as we like to call you, right? That's right. Uh, yep. Yeah. And we all like looked up to you as like our, 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 you know, our Aristotle. Um, to, anyways, sorry. I won't get into any metaphors that will just get drowned out in a coughing fit from me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just think that is what we were missing. And it's like, it's tough because in high school, even these bonds that you like put in your heart and you hold so close and you know, like this is like, this bond is there, you know, even those bonds, there's moments where it's like, wait, but do they really like me? Like, is this like, is this real or no? And I feel, I feel like sometimes it was just like, it comes from a place of fear that we, we want to just like bond, 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 bond. And like the second we try and bridge, it's like, wait, what, what are you doing? Are you hanging out with Matt Broker? Like, what is that? That's a name from the past. Am I right? What do you like? Yeah. You're hanging out with Matt Broker? Like, and you know. Steve, Steve Owens, he was such a bridger, you know, and it like definitely like created a lot of fear in us some, at some moments, you know, um, of like, maybe we don't need this. Like, 
but I really want to like come back to this idea. And it's an idea that I hold in my heart these days. And I try and like put it as a philosophy that I go forward with is the idea that like shared love is double love. And that is definitely not the expression. Um, but like this idea that the love is not finite and like the more people that are engaged in this and like the love of like friendship, right? The more people that are engaged in this like friendship of love and the more that it will grow. And I feel like that is this lesson that I've learned from my time as like a, like a bonder and not a bridger, but like, I really want to take this, like these deep bonds and like build on them into bridges. And I feel like that, yeah, it's hard. It's hard though, you know? Yeah, it it is. It's like, um, I think certainly like teenagers and then in people in their twenties, like the, the how to bridge feels very hard. Like how to, um, it, it takes a sort of place where you've evolved as a person and can do that work because it is, it's complex and scary work. Like, um, both trying to maintain the integrity of the group while expanding, extending and outward. And, um, I think you're right. Like, it's it's another duality here that like love is infinite and like abundant and like one can spread the good stuff of rattlesnake infinitely. However, one only has a certain amount of time. So like where one wants to use their resources is a really good question. Um, but I do think that rattlesnake over the years and, you know, what it stands for is like this set of community that we have going back to middle school, high school is, you know, think like you and I, as a part of it can think about bridging and expanding it out. And also, yeah, just that idea of expanding community and yeah, it's, it, I don't know, like, is it worth trying to like even now, like the the name rattlesnake means a lot to a lot of people, and um, for people who are not part of it, back in high school, there's a sense of like exclusion from it, and so it's kind of like, does there need to be this like abolishing of rattlesnake or like blowing it up in order to evolve to something where it's not not a thing, you know? And I can't think of any equivalents because the messages around high school is like there is a in-group in high school, but that dissolves or, you know, it just doesn't stay, especially not 20 years later. So um, it's a little bit un uncharted territory. Haven't seen it in the psychological literature, Dave. So I'll keep looking. Yeah. Well... I'm also curious, I just want to ask you just to give a little bit more of your perspective, because you didn't have a, like a, you definitely had a group of friends, but did it feel like you were part of a clique? Did it feel like that to you as well? I just want to hear your experience a little bit. 
Um, it felt like it, it never felt like a click. Um, I didn't have a solid like group of um, like deep friendships like that, where I think in Rattlesnake, everyone like really cared for one another. Um, and I definitely had some close friends and I felt like I had like a little bit of small pods that were all connected. And I just saw like in my sort of friend and acquaintance group, a, a lot of different relationships, but no sort of, I don't know where the core was. Like, it didn't seem like there was any core, you know, organizing friendship where it, it, it did. Very, yeah. It did like rattlesnake was like at the heart, the core of, a pretty wide network as well. And that's kind of special. So for me, I didn't feel like I had any of that. And so there's not like a, a similar group um, that extended just more like friendships that extended into the future, more like one-on-ones, you know? Yeah. Was there anyone at your, in your grade level that was like that, like a rattlesnake type group that you felt excluded from or was it was it kind of unique to our grade level a little bit more yeah i i felt like i never really oh until the very end of high school like i was like i always played soccer but like the popular soccer kids didn't really invite me to their get-togethers and whatnot um, until the very end of high school. And, um, so I guess I was probably excluded from that just like by not being included. Um, but it didn't, yeah, I, but I didn't see like this little like core group, you know, mm-hmm. like that was the core of anything. It was more just like networks of like the most popular kids, which I wasn't really a part of. Hmm. Yeah, well, you gave me a little bit of perspective, and I know that it's a little bit of a loose topic, like connecting, uh, you know, in-grouping, out-grouping to avoidance, but I feel like the idea comes back. I don't know if we're going to draw any big conclusions, but I do think that there is this idea of how we can be better people in our adult lives on how we can take those these bonds and bridge bridge into the world to create more connection which is something that we're always trying to do you know yeah that's right and it's i think the subtleties are really interesting to think about where like the the when two people share an inside joke or like inside knowledge that is like a moment of bonding that the third person who doesn't know that joke is not a part of that so those you know have to be used carefully or just there has to be consciousness around that and how that creates like subtle in group out group and that's like uh, i think over the years how rattlesnake has like an incredible insider knowledge and that's like a force that rattlesnake needs to contend with uh, I think we made it to the dystopian corner. Dystopian corner. You want to sing us in? I'll sing us in, Dave. 
Karl Marx in the sky. Octavia Butler can fly twice as high. Philip K. Dick, it's in a... Pretty good, Bob. I'm enjoying it, as always. Well, I am up this week, and I am going to talk about a, a book slash... I'm sure it got made into a movie. I feel like I saw it at some point, but um, yeah, if not a few movies. The book that I'm talking about is Lord of the Flies, and I feel... Like this is an old school, an old classic that I kind of wanted to bring up because I feel like it has a lot to do with in-grouping and out-grouping. I feel like this is a book of like who is a leader, who's able to make decisions and like what happens when everything breaks down and a new society has to become, a new society becomes created, you know? Um, and I feel like everyone at some point has some interaction with this through middle school or high school. And I don't know, I guess I just feel like the character of Piggy is super intriguing to me, you know? And I feel like, do you remember this book pretty well, Bob, or not really? Um, I, I, I remember it like moderately well. Yeah. That yeah. these boys. <clears throat> I don't know. Are they trapped on an island or they're just amongst each other? Yeah. And it starts out like really positive and then it goes to hell. Yeah, exactly. So, right. They, there's like a plane crash on an island and um, everyone, sorry, all the adults die, like the pilot. And um, I guess I'm assuming that there must have been a teacher of some kind there, but maybe not. Um, and, <clears throat> They, you know, the two kids that kind of like take over are like a, a Ralph is the main character, I believe. And then Piggy is his like number two man. And, you know, Ralph becomes like this great leader and it starts off really well. But in the end, he becomes like a dictator and corrupted by the power. And um, there's this like scene where they end up like killing piggy and eating him because mm. he is like trying to call uh call ralph out out on his bullshit and saying like hey man like we are like you cannot do what you're doing and you're like have you've gone too far and you're like not doing you're not doing right by us and then you know he ends up speaking back to power and they end up killing him and innocence is over and piggy dies um i just feel like boy it's a good little novel it's pretty simplistic in a lot of ways and yeah i just think it's a i would love to read it again or come come after it again i like i like the dystopian corner gets to bring up these novels and bring us back to a different time i you know the whole idea is that most of these books and tv shows are ones that it's not necessarily like new information it's just like let's let's think about these again and try and like bring them up um yeah so that's about all i wanted to share on that with uh the golden globes in mind and just the world of 
uh, movies and whatnot. Who would be a modern actor to play Piggy, Dave? <laughs> Boy, I mean, I I guess I feel like you know, in Stand by Me, he, he it was uh, a young Jerry O'Connell, right, playing a similar character to Piggy, and you know, now moving like fast forwarding into like the here and now, we have the TV show Stranger Things, and the Piggy character is definitely encapsulated by uh, Dustin. Oh yeah. Right. You know, um, but gosh, I would love to see a young Seth Rogen playing, playing piggy. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Thanks, Bob. Yep. (sighs) Well, you want to lead us out? Yeah, Dave. Uh, well, our listeners can find us, email us at Dave Peachtree, all one word at gmail.com. They can find us on Instagram at thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. And we got to get a post on Instagram soon, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, keep on going to Twitter. Tweet at us at bmaze19. And last but not least, I forgot about our last but not least. Oh, yeah, we have our website. Yep. That Chris wonderfully updates. And it's at thrivingindystopia.com. Perfect, Bob. Well, another week, another day, another dollar, as Weston Monroe likes to say. Weston. Love it. Good stuff. Well, lead us out, Dave. Lead us out, Bob. Everyone, lead us in, lead us out. (laughs) Love you, Bob. (laughs) Love you, Dave. Have a great week. Bye. What's up, Thriving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is Bashful by Ketza. See you next week.